Blog Talk Radio. Everybody, welcome to another Wednesday night get together. I'd like to introduce our legends first from Sarasota slash the shore, Mr. Don Henderson, up in Hotlanta, Mr. Roger Hendler, down here in Tampa Bay, Mr. Roy Cummings, and spinning the dials as the old Herb Score 
producer would say, a good friend of mine got me started in this business, Steve Bone, Mr. Frank Carroll. Gentlemen, good evening and happy Wednesday to everybody. Yes. Happy yes. Wednesday, yes. Good to be with you. Yes, it's a beautiful, beautiful day. This is the best day of the week. Get to get to talk sports with the best people in the whole world right now, which is which is wonderful up there. So I can't looking forward to that. You know, same here. Well, it's just great, but you know, it's just it's going to be interesting right now. Roy, question for you the day for you right now. Is, are people starting to be worried about our Tampa Bay Lightning down here? Because we're tied with Carolina and Florida, but you know the the press, uh, John Cooper's post post game uh, thing last night. Question was asked, and this is Roger Don. You'll love this one. The question was asked. I'm not going to mention any names because Roy and I both know people. And the question was asked. You know, what do you think is we do about this loss? But John Cooper, be the great motivator that he is, he said, get a book, find the book. Open the book and turn the page. That's what this game is. That was that was just we're gonna do about this game. <laughs> well, they got a hit sword for tomorrow night. They got Florida tomorrow night, and you can't ask for a better competition than that. You're gonna get it right out of the shoot. So it should be a very interesting night in Tampa. Oh, they got they got to beat the Panthers up there, and then they got the Carolina coming in right after that. So this is a these these games are key. These games are the old four point games. Everybody, two points you get and two points you get. The other team doesn't get in the standings up there. So this should be very great hockey up, hockey there. And I, hey Roy, I believe Kucherov's taking the ice right now. He's skating with the part of the drills right now. So that's even better news for the Lightning. Yeah, exactly. Your thoughts, Roy? Uh, yeah, I, I, I think they're going to get Kucherov back for the playoffs for sure. I think they'd probably like to get him uh, in some games before that, just that, you know, you don't want to come in cold in the playoffs. That, you know, you can, that could lead to some issues as well. But, um, you know, based on, okay, you lost 7-4 to four to Nashville, a team you shouldn't lose to, certainly in that fashion. Team did not play well. Um, you know, it was, what was interesting, Tommy, um, is, yeah, I, I like what John Cooper had to say about mm-hmm. you get a book, you turn the page. You know, we're going to turn the page. And they can do that. Uh, you know, a veteran team, for the most part, um, you know, didn't play well. You put it behind you. Um, you know, back when the Rays were playing, you know, when he was – Joe Matt, you know, on days like this, yep. you know, he would say, hey, you know what you do? You toss that one in the basket and you move, and you move on. And that's what you do. Cool. But there was a little bit that's different, it. you know, a uh, little bit different uh, vibe coming out of the locker room. Uh, Ryan McDonough kind of saying, hey, this, this is not how we are expected to play. Yep. Uh, we were mm-hmm. sk- standing around tonight. The other team skated harder than we did. They wanted it more than we did. Um, and that's not how a team getting ready for the playoffs should be playing. And so, you know, I like the fact that among the players, uh, there's legitimate concern and, and accountability. Yep. You know, it's, mm-hmm. the, it's the coach's job to not turn – a mountain into a molehill, and when you lose a game, uh, just when you just have a bad night, you just don't play well. Uh, you don't turn that into something that uh, you know becomes a bigger deal than it is. Uh, the last thing you want to do is start reading out your players in the you know in the publicly. And my guess is he probably had a few choice words for him in uh, in the locker room afterwards, and uh, again this morning uh, when they met. Um, and he'll probably do the same again uh, before they play Florida in the next game, but. Uh, 
publicly, you say, hey, you, you move on behind this. Uh, the thing I would be concerned about is the Lightning have not played their best hockey of late. Um, I'm not saying that what happened last night is part of a trend necessarily. They haven't been particularly sharp. Uh, we talked about this last week. Every team's going to hit a slump here and there. Right. They seem to be in one. Um, they're missing some key players, not just Kucherov, but Stamkos is missing now. Um, right. You know, they didn't play very well in front of their goaltender. They're, they're, they've got some new players, and, and what, three or four. Mm-hmm. So you're adding right. new players. The chemistry is going to change a little bit. Um, it's natural for some guys to kind of sit back and watch those new players and say, hey, okay, uh, you know, I can I can rest a little bit easier tonight. No, you can't. So they'll no. learn from this. They'll be fine. I'm not concerned about the Lightning. I don't know that they're going to win the division um, because right now they don't yep. have momentum. Florida Florida does. But, you know, Carolina mm-hmm. lost the other night to, uh, in a tough game. So uh, they're kind of – if they really want that division title, then the playoffs have begun for this team because you're right. You've got Florida mm-hmm. coming up, Carolina after that, uh, Dallas coming up. So um, – it's a tough week ahead for the Lightning, but you know what? It's a good week for them because it's a good week for them to kind of get their game right. So uh, not concerned at this point. Let's see how they look uh, through the weekend. If they can take at least one of these against Florida, I'm gonna, I think you're going to feel a, little bit, a lot better about this team. Roger? You know, uh, Roy, uh, the Lightning are one situation, but then you're looking at the NFL and, and the West, of course, nobody in the East has seen them this year. The Canucks, with all the issues they have uh, with the pandemic, and uh, and the Flyers, who would ever have thought at the beginning of the year that they would do an El Foldo like they have, uh, where uh, they just they're they're pretty much finished. And uh, I think it just goes to show you what uh, starts out in January. In this case, uh, in uh, in April, may be 180 degrees from, uh, you know, at the end from what the start was. But I doubt whether the the Lightning will be in that position. They may be just uh, having their their downtime now and getting ready for the playoffs. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I totally do. And, and it's, it's a great, uh, you know, point that you make about Philadelphia and, and Vancouver, two teams that a lot of people thought were, were on the rise would certainly play a lot better than they have. And it didn't happen uh, in Vancouver. You could say that you know letting uh, Markstrom go and get get away uh, hurt that team. Didn't you know the goaltending wasn't quite as sharp, and then you know Braden Holtby didn't quite turn out the way they they hoped. So um, you know there's some circumstances there. But you know even Florida, I don't think a lot of people thought Florida would be that strong of a team uh, this year. And 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 look at them. They, they've been very strong. They've really played exceptionally well. Uh, within their system and figured out how to beat teams within their division consistently. Um, so you, you see, you know what, Boston is kind of, they're not in the camp with the Flyers, but you look at Boston and they've been strong, but you, you look at, if you want to pick apart their game a little bit, you could find some errors there and say, Hey, they're not playing the kind of Boston hockey that most people expected either. So, um, you know, it, it really at this point is a matter of getting to the playoffs, and playing your best hockey at that time and figuring out, again, how to play playoff hockey when that time comes around. If you do that, you're going to be fine. And, again, I think the Lightning can do it. I think they learned a big lesson uh, over the past couple of years. And um, so we'll see. But, uh, no, not a time to panic at all. And it just goes to show you that um, this is why we play the games, guys. Uh, It's not about being on paper. 
It's, uh, it's mm-hmm. how you look when you when you get on the ice, on the on the court, down the field, uh, and and we're seeing that play out again. Tommy, I think you're right about that, Roy. Because just you know, look at the Flyers. They had you know they from their last year the uh, playoffs in the bubble, and and you got to feel for Vancouver getting hopefully from Washington, and then the COVID 19s attacking that over there. But a team like I think. Team we should all watch out for is give me that Toronto Maple Leaf team. They're playing some great hockey in in, in their own in their own division up there. That's going to team to watch out for, and I and I, I think you're going to watch out for um, in that division. You can't count Pittsburgh or Washington, Roy, because Ovechkin and Cindy Crosby. Can't count Boston now, but but look look out for in, in hockey right now in our in, in division ladies in Nashville, Roy. They are 13 and three the last. The last couple of games have been playing. That's the record in March. They, they're a hot team right now. Hot goaltender will win your championship. Whoever plays Nashville in the first round, it's going to be very, very, very tough to, to beat a hot goaltender. That's what I got. That's what I'm concerned about. Well, Nashville's got to get there. They've got to jump over some teams to do it. Um, Chicago's got a better shot. looks like Columbus has kind of turned in its cards and, and, and folded for, the, for this season. But uh, you're right about Toronto. Look, you can't ignore the fact. And, again, I, I've said this as well, that, you know, Toronto, to me, it's – I don't know that there's any representative sample size for any team in the NHL this year um, except maybe the Islanders because they're playing mm-hmm. Pittsburgh, Washington, Boston on a regular basis, yep. the Rangers that aren't that mm-hmm. bad, uh, the Flyers who were supposed to be much better. Uh, you know, obviously the, the one of the best teams in the East, but, um, you know – I, I, the Flyers, I mean, let's face it, with, with the Maple Leafs, you have to give them credit. I mean, they have certainly figured out how to win with that run-and-gun style that they play. Yep. And then they go out, in the, you know, at the end here, and they, they add some grit uh, to help them uh, play a little bit tougher in the playoffs. That's been their problem is can they get through a first round when people mm-hmm. start banging you up against the wall a little bit. So, um, you know, the Lightning figured it out, obviously. And now we have to see if the Maple Leafs do. And uh, what you might end up seeing is you might end up seeing a Tampa-Toronto uh, series here at some point. And that would be, that would be really exciting because, again, you've got That's two the of the one. better uh, scoring teams, two of the better skating teams, uh, good goaltending, uh, theoretically at least, and, um, and, and, and teams that have added that grit that uh, allows you to, to move on in the playoffs. So I'll tell you what, as, as always, uh, NHL uh, season as it gets down to the to the nitty gritty and gets into the you know get in, gets into the playoff races, it's some of the best stuff you can watch. And uh, when the playoffs get going, man, it's mm-hmm. it must be TV. Am I right? Well, I think the other thing you, you can consider is the fact that uh, it's not like other years where you get to see all the teams. We don't we don't get to see all the teams very often, mm-hmm. and uh, I think that's going to be a major factor when you come to the playoffs. Teams you you haven't expected to play and you haven't played. We we really don't know how good they are, so I think that's going to be a a major uh, stumbling block when they get to the playoffs. Yeah, great point, Don. Because you're going to really have to lean on your uh, your video crews and your scouts to to tell you what you know what are you going up against here. Um, and, but at the end of the day, you know those video reports and scouting reports can only take mm-hmm. you so far. I mean, you can go out there and say, okay, uh, you know this is how they're going to clog up the neutral zone. They're going to pr- you know press you to the outside you know, do a good job of getting sticks in lanes and, and breaking up uh, passes and stuff. But you still got to go out there and play it. And it's a lot easier when you've played somebody. you got a feel for how they're playing. And now, 
uh, again, with some of these teams, I mean, the, the fabric of the team has changed a little bit. I mean, it just talk about Tampa again. You come into Tampa now, you're going to, you're going to, when you're facing David Savard, I and mean, one thing you didn't have to worry about with Tampa right up until now was really having to get, you know, anybody getting physical with you down low in their, in the offensive end. Now with David Savard, you're going to, you're going to take a beating down there with him. And that just might give some other guys, uh, a, you know, a little bit of uh, confidence and, and they might get a little more physical. So let's see how mm-hmm. that works out. And, um, you know, same with Toronto. So, Teams are uh, certainly, uh, you know, improving themselves. And uh, you're right. Uh, the fact that you haven't played somebody, uh, it throw, you know, you throw everything up in the air and say, okay, well, let's see how this one uh, shakes out because uh, there's no way of knowing really. Uh, you know, you, you've got nothing to, to go by uh, in terms of uh, previous matchups. Uh, what you did last year is not going to count because the teams look, uh, in some cases, dramatically different. Roger? Yeah, well, you know, I wanted to get over to baseball uh, for at least a, a minute or a couple of minutes. And I'll tell Let's you, uh, just goes to show you, uh, the other team in Florida, the baseball team, the Marlins, <clears throat> excuse me, I was very concerned about them at the beginning of the season because I think they are a team to watch and they're going to cause a lot of trouble. They destroyed the Braves last night. They're already up tonight. And then uh, the uh, uh, Phillies were expected to do more early on. They've only played the Mets and the Braves. And uh, Matt Wheeler tonight is already behind his old team 2 nothing. So I say watch out. And they lost two last night, Roger. I know they did. They lost two, Don. And but I'm I'm looking at the Marlins. I I think they really have built a team. They got rid of all those top notch players, Stanton, et cetera, et cetera, and they got all these young uh players from other teams and I think they've built up a real tremendous team for now and into the future. I don't know what you think about that, Roy. I think you're right, and I think what you're saying is you're talking about the Marlins and how uh, look, that's a formidable opponent right now. Um, hurt a little bit with some, already got some injuries in the pitching staff. That's hurt him a little bit. Bullpen is a little bit shaky. We got to find out what what that's going to be. If they if the bullpen comes around, you're right. They've got they got some players on that team. They're gonna they're gonna hit the ball a little bit. They've shown that. But you know, you talk about the, the what you talked about with the the, the Phillies only playing Atlanta and uh, and the Mets. Mm-hmm. Granted, they lost last night and they're losing tonight, but. They're in first place after beating those, playing those teams. So they really look like they're going to be a little bit better this year and maybe take a step forward thoroughly. But let's see. I mean, certainly, uh, look, they're going to they're going to run the same nine guys out there every night, change it up in center field. But uh, if the pitching is solid, and uh, there's reason to believe it is, I mean, I think Zach Eflin is a guy that stepped forward this year uh, in the major yes. leagues and become, uh, you know, not necessarily an ace, but certainly a number two starter. Uh, behind Aaron Nola, and if Zach Wheeler's uh, solid, um, they've got a better bullpen with Bradley and, and Naris uh, healthy. So, you know, I, I like the way they're built. I like what they've got. Alec Baum is a is a legitimate threat. Um, they've got a lot of pieces there. They've got depth. Um, so I like the team. And if you're beating up on the uh, Braves and Mets, which they did early on at least, um, that that's a good that's a good sign. So uh, you're right. The NL East is. Uh, it's, it's not going to be an easy walk because, again, you know, don't give up on Washington. They, they've got arguably the best player in baseball in Juan Soto, and, uh, you know, their pitching is back to, to normal, too, with Scherzer and Strasburg. So 
uh, it could be a, a real tight race in that uh, NL East. That one, I think, is going to go all the way through September, guys. Tommy, mm. amen. Hey, Roy, what about your Cubbies? What do you think they're going to do? I think they need to get uh, – I'll tell you, first First of all, they need that day off tomorrow in, in the worst way. I'm a little surprised that, uh, that uh, David Ross didn't give a couple of guys uh, a day off today, maybe Javier Baez, certainly Jock Peterson, I would have considered doing that. Um, their, their heads are just a mess right now. They, they can't hit. Um, the pitching's been fairly solid, uh, but they can't hit. They've been hit by COVID a little bit. They've lost two, three guys there, mostly depth pieces. But um, right now, they just they're just they just can't hit. And look, we're getting to a point uh, real quickly here with this Cubs team where we're finding out that um, you know maybe the, the sum of all the parts of of Chris Bryant, Javier Baez, uh, Anthony Rizzo, uh, Wilson Contreras, gone down the line, is not as good as the individual players because they just can't seem to put it together. You know, two years in a row, uh, the Cubs failed to hit adequately enough to, to really solidify a spot in the playoffs and then, and then get through the playoffs uh, in 2018-2019. Then, of course, last year was, you know, a bit of a, a crapshoot, but it didn't work out then either. And now here you go. I mean, this team's setting records for hitting futility. 49 hits through 10 games, guys, is like the worst in the history uh, of Cubs baseball. And at one point, it's like the second worst uh, run to start a season for any team in the history of the game. So they are hitting at at an all-time low uh, level, uh, I mean, which is just incredible. And you don't expect that out of uh, you know when you name those players. Those, those guys are all guys. I mean, we're talking about former MVPs here. We're talking about all stars. We're talking about you know some of the best players at their position in the game, and they just can't seem to put mm-hmm. it together. So uh, they've got some issues, and um, they got to straighten them out. Is one day off going to work? Going to make it happen? I don't know. Sometimes it does. Um, that's again. That's why I would have given some of these guys a a day off today, but you know what? They're already desperate for wins, so I guess they had to put their best nine out there and uh, and hope it worked out. Just it didn't. Tommy? It's the same thing about what's going on with the Indians right now. I mean, they're, they're, you had the COVID thing going up in Cleveland. Is there pressure, you think, on, on you know, on Frank Conan to bring a championship to Cleveland? I mean, World Series, because they came so close when – when your Cubs beat my Indians, darn it. But I got the close they came ever since that Craig Council scored a winning run from third base back in 97 and another dis- disappointing moment for the Indians. you think there's pressure up in Cleveland right now to try to bring it home this year? It's a good question, Tommy, because, you know, first of all, there's always pressure when you've got a good team, you know, to win. Yeah. And, and they do have mm-hmm. a good team. Um, but the issue is, I don't know that this that the ownership and management has given uh, Terry Francona the best team possible. I mean, right. you, you gave up on, on Carlos Santana. You gave up on mm-hmm. Francisco Lindor. When you start losing pieces like that, um, that are really part of the core, you, you're going to struggle. And, you know, they gave up on Carlos Carrasco. Um, you know, and, and look, if they had kept the team together, that was the best team in the NL Central two years ago. If you, if you keep Lindor, if you keep Santana, mm-hmm. you keep Kluber, you keep some of these guys, you can make that argument. 
they've got some pitchers at the top of the rotation, obviously, that, that you like. Um, the bullpen is solid. I, I think they've got some, some really good depth there uh, with Karen Shack and Whitgren and, uh, and those guys. But at the end of the day, guys, I, I just I think you've lost too many big pieces. And when what's happened is uh, Chicago surpassed you in terms of talent. Chicago has built mm. a better team. And right now, you, you, you can't sleep on Kansas City and Detroit. I'm not saying they're going to the playoffs. But right now, Kansas City and Detroit are good enough to give you good games and maybe win, win the season series from you. And if that happens in Cleveland, uh, it's not on Terry Francona. It's, uh, it's on management. Yep. Roy, uh, interesting point uh, going back a couple of nights. And uh, you and I and Tommy, of course, had the opportunity to see it. I know Roger did not. But uh, I'll tell you, we saw a pitchy performance in Tampa the other night. And last now, I don't, I don't know what I've seen a better game, total game. The only weakness in it, in my view, was there were so many strikeouts. I mean, you hate to see a game. With, with that many strikeouts, nobody put the ball in play. But a one nothing game, a pitching performance, I, I thought a great manager's decision when Cash decided to take him out after seven and a third. Uh, just a tremendous game to watch, I, I thought. Yeah, I agree um, with you, Don. Look, Tyler Glass now, every time he goes out there, is a guy that y- you, you want to watch because this guy's liable to do something special. Uh, it was 15 right. strike, 14 strikeouts the other night, which, you know, again, we, you know, we've seen it here. You know, Tom Seaver did it. Terry Wood did it. Uh, Randy Johnson. I mean, he's not the first guy to strike out 14 or 15 guys, but um, you're right. It was just, it was a really good close ball game. And Tyler Glass now has become one of those pitchers that when he pitches, you want to tune in because you could see a no hitter. You could see 15 strikeouts. Uh, you could see just absolute mastery. Uh, of an opposing opposing lineup, he's that good, and uh, yeah, I agree. Uh, you know, early in the season, uh, you'd love to see a guy uh, pitching a shutout, finish it up, and uh, the way he, you know, certainly could have. He didn't want to come out. I think he was strong enough to go the rest of the way. But you know what? You got to think big picture. And uh, you know, we're two starts into the season for Tyler Glass now. Uh, he doesn't need to throw his arm out uh, trying to prove something to somebody. So uh, win the game. You got a good bullpen there. But you're right. Uh, uh, the Rays are playing some pretty good baseball themselves these days. And, um, again, as usual with them, it's your pitching that's making it happen. And you did throw 111 pitches. So it wasn't like he took them out. Oh, yeah. uh, you know, it wasn't on a short notice that he took them out. And uh, his interview after the game I thought was great. You're right. He, he sort of disagreed with Cash a little bit at the mound, but he talked about it in the post-game show. And, uh, Roger, we'll get over to you. Well, the uh... – I know we're uh, going to have Dan Baker on. I know uh, Frank was trying to uh, hook up with him. And, uh, you know, we're going to talk to him about uh, baseball. But I'll tell you, uh, Roy, before you go, uh, it was interesting about the Cubs. I I find it hard to believe, believe but it's obviously true, about that lack of hitting. And, uh, you know, I just uh, read today, like on the Phillies, Aaron Nola has pitched more innings than any pitcher in baseball in the last three years or two, two, a little over two years. And I find that hard to believe, you know, that, uh, yeah, you know, you're the right. One, the one, yeah. I mean, it, you know, when you think about it, that more than anybody in baseball, just like you said, with the Cubs, Cubs on the opposite, you know, as far as lack of hitting, 
I mean, it's amazing. I mean, absolutely amazing to me. Here, here's another well, one. Guys. Well, First of all, on, on Aaron Nola, I mean, the guy's a horse. And you know what? That's what you want at the top of your road. You want a guy that's going right. to go out there and give you seven innings. I mean, he did it on opening day. Threw 92 pitches on opening day. So, hmm. you know, you want that. And, uh, look, he, he's a guy who uh, – and I like the fact. I'd love to see more pitchers strive and, and managers allow pitchers to go seven innings. Uh, you know, if it's 100 Amen. pitches, it's 100 pitches. I mean, Nolan Ryan will certainly tell you that's, that's how you build up your arm. But here's another one. I'll leave you guys with this. We talked about a couple of things that, you know, make you kind of shake your head and say, what, really? You know, the fact that the Cubs uh, had 49 hits through 10 games, they're hitting a collective about 162 right now, uh, you shake your head. Aaron Nola. Uh, most innings pitched over the last two years of Major League Baseball makes you shake your head. Here's one that will really make you shake your head. Right now, the longest consecutive stolen base streak to start a career is owned by Tim LaCastro of the Arizona Diamondbacks. He's not even a regular player. He's playing regularly now because he got some injuries. Tim LaCastro, he has stolen 29 bases consecutively without being caught. To start his career, it's a record in Major League Baseball. Wow! It's it's why baseball is so special, guys, and why every time Mm -hmm. you watch a game, you're you're liable to see something you never saw before, hear about something that's never happened, or just it's what makes the game special. There's so many little things going on throughout the day and throughout a game that uh, there's always something special there for everybody. You're right. I think one of the facts I can throw in there with you is that whether it was Girardi or who managing the club, they didn't want to go to the bullpen. <laughs> they would rather have him pitch an extra inning or an extra 20 pitches and take a chance on going to the bullpen before this year. Now, you know, Joe's got some people down there, but uh, the last two years they had nobody. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> That's a real good point, Don. <laughs> yeah, well, Roy, have a good week. Uh, Dan Baker, the uh, premier uh, public address announcer and the longest tenured, Roy, in all of Major League Baseball is with See? us. So there you have go. a great week, Roy. Thank you. Wow. Thanks Take for care. having me, guys. I appreciate it as always. Thank you, Roy. Thank you. Okay, Dan, hey, Dan. welcome. <laughs> Thank you, Roger and John and Frank. And Our prayers have John. been answered. Your goal was achieved to do opening game of the of this season, and uh, yes. God bless that uh, you, you know you're back. And yes. how is everything going? And uh, unfortunately, the Phillies are having a, a rough time. But uh, as they, you know, we were talking about it earlier. They've only played the Mets and the Braves, and the Braves are having a tough time. So yeah, yeah. Well, the Phillies had a great first six games. They were five and one. Uh, at home, and uh, one and two in Atlanta, of course, and they lost a doubleheader last night to the Mets, and uh, the Mets are winning right now two to nothing in the top of the third. So, and, and the Braves uh, are losing to the Marlins, Dan. Again? Wow. Again, well, it's like they're down to nothing, yeah. Yeah, the Phils are losing to the Mets here, but, uh, yeah, Ro- Roger, it's just great to be back at the ballpark. And uh, uh-huh. my goodness, we were only allowed 8,800 fans for the first couple of games and then 11,000 for the Mets series. Uh, mm-hmm. But those uh, 
uh, you know, that represents only like 10, you know, 15% of capacity. Uh, and uh, normally uh, Citizens Bank Park can hold about 45,000. So, uh, it, but they made they made enough noise for forty five thousand. You could really hear them. <laughs> oh, well, Dan, let, let's say, let's take a moment, Dan, to also talk about uh, what transpired last year. Because, as Roger said, the longest right now uh, consecutive stream within uh, Major League Baseball, as far as uh, public address announcement is concerned, all the years you've done. But just give a little bit of background because we have a lot of folks around the country that are not familiar with Dan Baker, not familiar with the Phillies, and not familiar with what happened over the last uh, 12 or 14 months. Well, Don, uh, uh, last year I had a uh, tumor removed from my maxillary sinus, and uh, I had been fighting in an, uh, what was thought to be a bad bacterial infection uh, for a couple of years. I had several surgeries for that. But as it turned out, uh, you know, it wasn't healing. And uh, I guess the root of the problem was uh, this squamous cell carcinoma. And uh, in a 24-hour surgery last um, August 14th, they did remove it. Uh, of course, when you're uh, in surgery that long, uh, one, of the, one of the dangers is uh, it increases the chances of one getting an infection. And I did get oh. an infection. Uh, I was in the hospital for six weeks and uh, came home at the end of September. Uh, but I'm very fortunate. And uh, they did get all the cancer. In fact, I had a PET scan March 1st, and it showed that I'm cancer-free. And they'll probably they, thank you. They'll probably be monitoring me for uh, you know the uh, rest of my life, as, as they do you know all cancer patients. Uh, but uh, we have some excellent hospitals and doctors in Philadelphia, Jefferson and Penn, and, and uh, I was lucky enough to be uh, treated by the good folks at Jefferson, and uh, they're really a wonderful medical team. And, uh, you know, here I am, uh, you know, uh, opening day, resuming the Phillies PA mm-hmm. announcing, and as to uh, longevity, uh, you know, this would have been my 50th year, uh, and I, as a, the Phillies public address announcer, but I, I view it that I missed last year, which would have been my 49th. So this is really my 49th. And as far as I know, the only two public address announcers that have performed for 50 years or, or more are the great Bob Shepard uh, from Yankee Stadium, 57 years, 1951 through 2007, and uh, Pat Piper, another brilliant PA announcer, longtime voice of the Chicago Cubs at Wrigley Field. He started in 1916, and he he finished in 1974. That's a total of 59 years. So uh, Pat actually has Bob by two years for the longevity record. And uh, if uh, my good health continues and I can perform at a high level and the Phillies will have me, uh, and I do at least one more year, I'm hoping to do more than one, uh, next year would be my 50th, and I would join those two great gentlemen as uh, Mm. the only three uh, 
PA announcers in the history of Major League Baseball to perform for 50 years or more. Tell me, what an accomplishment that would be. That's such an honor, Dan. Thank thank God you're back to health, Dan. We've been praying for you so much in the show for this day that that you would be coming on. So in my thoughts, my words, I've been praying to you, God, praying to you, Dan. So thank God you're back back to my health then we're back to be thank you yeah i um of course there's there's been some physical changes in my mouth so i used to like to think that i had a pretty good elocution and um i think i still have pretty good but uh i don't think it is uh perfect uh, uh however i'd like to think i i bring a lot of experience enthusiasm love of the Phillies. Mm-hmm. And I think that comes across. Oh, Roger. it absolutely it does. It does, Dan. Dan, and, you had, uh, a, had another uh, gig you were doing that uh, uh, people down here, uh, no, one of the people you worked with, um, and maybe you could talk about uh, your your time in football. Well, of course, uh, I had the privilege of doing Eagles public address announcing <laughs> for 29 years uh, from – uh, 1985 uh, through uh, 2013, and uh, you know I uh, was able to. Well, I never missed a uh, preseason, regular season, or postseason game, and uh, wow. enjoyed it thoroughly. Uh, and had the privilege along the way to uh, announce uh, three NFC Championship games: 2002, 2003, mm-hmm. 2004. And I also do the Army-Navy game uh, anytime it's played at Lincoln Financial Field in Philadelphia. Yeah, but you're leaving Roger, one out. You're leaving one out. Go ahead, yeah. Frank. Well, you know, uh, <laughs> well, of course, I was at the Big Five for many years as uh, executive secretary. I also did the radio play-by-play for the Big Five. For uh, wow. 21 years, 1977 through 1998, and like Don Henderson, uh, did the Temple football play-by-play for uh, seven years, 1977 through 1983, and I did Penn football play-by-play for 1986 through 1988, three years, and uh, Army football highlights on TV, WWF Worldwide Wrestling Federation ring announcing. Uh, the Lucky Mustang Auto Daredevils, you know, I had to go up there and mm-hmm. visit Roger in Summersworth, New Hampshire. And uh, mm-hmm. so, you know, a few things along the way. Uh, uh, I did actually PA for several of the big five teams in addition to uh, the uh, radio play-by-play. And uh, I, I a lot of high school stuff, uh, Carpenter Cup. and uh, Drexel, women, know, I, that, Drexel basketball men. You were ahead yeah. of uh, broadcasting at Drexel. Yeah, yeah, and I and I was radio play-by-play voice of the Dragons for 15 years, 1997 mm-hmm. through 2012. But uh, mm. you know, like like you gentlemen, uh, if if any one of us were to talk about our resume, we could go on for a long time. So I don't want to bore the people with all that. You're not no. you're not boring anybody. No you know? way. No and, way. And, no and at the vet, of course, who was sitting right uh, on the other side of the window from you in the uh, PA booth? But Mr. Henderson. Yes. Yes. Very distinguished. And 
See, uh, a lot of games, I, have we, Dan? <laughs> and you, you went into the Hall of Fame together. Two Hall of Famers here. Yeah, well, broadcast mm-hmm. pioneers. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, um, he was he was deserving long before me, Roger. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> John Henderson, you you have a very very impressive resume. You know, I I really enjoyed the talking to Frank Carroll the other night. I I didn't realize that uh, Frank was a great athlete at St. James High School uh, out of Chester. Yeah. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, a star in the Philadelphia Catholic League. And, uh, you know, that's pretty impressive that a lot of great athletes, a lot of great people come from Chester, Pennsylvania. Including I your wife. Frank was part of the, that's that's right, Frank was part of the Minutemen. <laughs> I was. That's, that's around here, Doc. The, the, the blue and gray. The blue and gray. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, Dan and I were Roger, talking, I was, the, Frank. A guard tackle. I was a guard tackle and, and uh, watchman. I used to sit at the end of the bench, watch the water buckle and bucket and t- tackle anybody came near it. <laughs> well, there's a lot of, you know, you guys will remember, there, there have been some terrific athletes that come out of St. James. And uh, yes. Tom Wynn, great St. Joe Hawk, speaking of St. Joe Hawks. Steve Corton, Don DeJulia, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to name a couple. Uh, Tom Gallia, right? No, Tommy Tom went Gallia. to, uh, Tommy well, graduated played... from St. James, but he went to Villanova. Yes. Oh, yes. yes. But, but I mean, I yeah. he was think... at St. James in high school. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And Jack yeah. McKinney, Tom, too. Tommy was a great, great high school player. Oh, I don't yeah. think his college career ever quite matched his high school accomplishments, no. but Boy, he was one of the most recruited athletes uh, uh, to come out of uh, the Catholic League uh, at that time. And, uh, Didn't Tony he, Abbott he had, go to St. James, Dan? I yes. believe he did. Yeah, yeah, yeah we were I worked with team. Tony. Yeah, that's yeah. what I thought because I worked with Tony, as Dan knows, for many years at Mobile. And uh, we were playing a pickup game one time at a meeting, and uh, Tony tore his ACL. Oh. Then, man, we had a, he had to be, uh, you know, carried around, you know, because uh, he couldn't drive for a while. But uh, and and that remember we had Corky Calhoun on. I brought that up and I Great. said, Corky, you were smart. You didn't play in that game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> could, I, could I tell you guys two funny autograph stories? One, Go ahead. One time, one time uh, at the vet, Roger Hendler and I are coming out. Uh, of the executive entrance following the game, and you, you fellows will remember Don and Frank especially, uh, the uh, uh, autograph seekers would gather outside of the uh, entrance, <laughs> and they would try to get an autograph. <laughs> and uh, so the the one involving Roger, you know, Roger's a pretty big guy. And uh, so just to have a little, you know, these kids are sizing us up, figuring who's this coming out, you know, and uh, they want to ask for an autograph in the worst way, uh, and uh, but they can't figure out who it is. So uh, <laughs> uh, just to have a little fun with them, uh, you know, and and I, this one kid said, who is that, who is that? I said, the bull, number 19, <laughs> left fielder Greg. Lose it, me. Oh, they all came running after Roger. 
And God <laughs> you're gonna apply to you know shiny right there. And the, the 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 one with me <laughs> another time I'm coming out and this is long after the game and I'm s i am was sitting upstairs, Don, you'll remember this in the press room you know, with Harry Callis and Skip Clayton and Bill Conlon and Paul Owens and you know, uh wow. talking baseball. And remember they right. used to have the hot dogs up there, Don and uh, sure do. Anyway, so uh, I'm coming out. It had to be, uh, geez, 45 minutes to an hour after game, sometime. But there's and there's there's still a few stragglers down there. So these two kids are following me to my car, and <laughs> one kid says, "Come on, can I have your autograph?" I said, "No, you don't want my autograph, you know." <laughs> and because uh, I don't want to disappoint the kid, you know, he's look, he's looking for a star, you know. And uh, so I keep going. He said, oh, come on, mister. You know, I've been waiting here for an hour. I said, no, look, I, I said, uh, you know, you want one of the players. And uh, so, you know, he comes all the way to the car. And he won't you please, mister? I said, uh, all right. Uh, you know, and uh, so I get the ball and I sign it. Best wishes, Dan Baker. The kid picked up the ball. He said, who the hell is Dan Baker? <laughs> he said, you asked me for the autograph. I told you. <laughs> oh, man. Did, did, he, did he give you the ball, Dan, and tell you to take it home? <laughs> no, he, he, he kept the ball. He kept the ball. I think he tried to erase the autograph. <laughs> Oh my! Yeah, but I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, in more recent times, just a couple of years ago, Dan had me as this guest at Xfinity Live at an Eagles game. And uh, this guy with his girlfriend, well, there was a couple of groups, but this one, this guy comes down and sits at the uh, table, and he's not supposed to be sitting there. And I said, mm-hmm. are you uh, with Dan Baker's uh, uh, family, you know, group? And he, uh, he doesn't answer. Make a long story short, this guy was waiting for me outside when Dan, I was giving Dan a ride over to his car. This guy wants to pick a fight. Is that right, Dan? And Dan, yeah. Dan hit the nail on the head. He says, uh, hey, listen, the Eagles won. What are you complaining about? And we kept on going. You ought to take a moment through this to talk a little bit about the bullring because uh, – it was great with him to have been doing the show for that was quite a few years now, and uh, what a great yeah. guy! And I uh, would imagine doing the show with him on a weekly basis is a lot of fun. Oh, it sure is. Uh, and uh, we started the bull session on April fifth. Now I didn't do the show on April fifth because the Phillies were home that night, and uh, I didn't want to take a chance of doing multiple events in the same day. We had John Cruck on uh, the, the first mm-hmm. show. And then uh, I was uh, there this past Monday, uh, April 12th, and uh, Larry Boa, and I know Larry Boa has been on with you guys, Roger was telling me, Uh, and he was a great guest. And we had a real nice crowd at the Hard Rock Cafe in Philadelphia, which is uh, Mm -hmm. our current host, and uh, 12th and Market Streets. Uh, uh, Caddy Corner, Roger, to the... Lowe's Hotel, where our That's daughter right. Courtney had her wedding, and her husband Yash had their oh, wedding nice. reception. 
and mm. with Roger that, is there. Absolutely, and I have a video of Rita uh, dancing with the fanatic, and I sent it out, and she was not happy about that I publicized that. Uh-oh. Oh, I thought that was pretty cute looking. Well, oh, he's a bull now and then doing his free training, and I got to say he's a he's still a great guy to talk to, and of course he has a restaurant at the ballpark, uh, multi uh, multi talented, was an outstanding player, and. Uh, just a great guy to work with. So I think doing a weekly show with him from a restaurant has got to be a lot of fun. Oh, it is. And you know something? We were talking the other night, Don. Uh, the hardest hit ball that I ever saw at Veterans Stadium, and I did the PA announcing there for 32 of its 33 years of existence. The only year I didn't do the PA was the very first year. Uh, uh, and uh, Art Wolf was the public address announcer in 1971, the year the vet opened. I started in the second year, 1972, and, of course, the last year at the vet was 2003. But the longest home run that I saw in those 32 years was a line drive that was still on the rise that uh, Greg Luzinski hit off Bert Hooten, and it <laughs> caroms off the Liberty Bell that was suspended from the upper deck mm-hmm. in dead center field. And it was like a heat-seeking missile. And uh, really something. So, uh, yeah, I mean, the bull, you know, the bull is uh, uh, two times uh, National League MVP runner-up. 1975, Mm -hmm. Joe Morgan was the MVP, and uh, Greg uh, was uh, second. And uh, in 1977, also from the Big Red Machine, George Foster was the MVP. Right. It was the year that, that George had 52 home runs. And uh, uh, Greg uh, that, uh, Greg in 77 had uh, 39 home runs and uh, 130 RBIs, and he uh, he finished second again. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, Greg Luzinski is a four-time All-Star, 75 through 78. And... Uh, at, for a time there, he had the record for most uh, uh, consecutive games with a hit in uh, the National League Championship Series. Uh, of course, uh, Greg and Mike Schmidt and Larry Bow and Bob Boone, uh, Steve Carlton helped lead the Phillies to the NL East title in 76, 77, 78, 80, 83. Uh, and, uh, you know, that was... Uh, to me, the se- second greatest era in the Phillies baseball, and the first being that a brilliant run uh, by the Ryan Howard, Chase Utley, Jimmy Rollins led Phillies mm-hmm. Cole Hamels uh, from nineteen from uh, two thousand seven to two thousand eleven. Right. Uh, but boy, uh, two great eras of Phillies baseball, and and Greg Luzinski was certainly one of the biggest stars in the first one. Well, Dan, I don't remember. I don't remember that being marked on the Liberty Bell. The only thing I can really recall off the top of my head, Willie Stargell shot. They had the they had the seat out there in the upper deck in right field. He had a big uh, uh, note note on there that uh, this is where he hit the ball. And I'll tell you, that thing was way up there. Yes, and Don, uh, now that that home run that Willie Stargell hit that went through one of the portals in the upper deck in right field. Um, there are some who say that was the longest 
ball, uh, home, longest home run ever hit at um, Veteran Stadium. Um, mm. Now, that was 1971. I was not the PA announcer, so I didn't see that. I heard about it. Um, right. So, uh, but uh, Larry, Larry Bow, we were talking the other day, Larry said the ball that uh, Willie Stargell hit was one of those majestic, long, high fly balls. You know, the type that, that Babe Ruth was known for and uh, mm-hmm. other sluggers. Uh, uh, Bulls was a line smash that was still on the rise, like I said, like a heat-seeking missile. And uh, that probably would have gone uh, – that probably had some distance still to go when it hit that bell head-on. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yes, Don, the other ball that's discussed as one of the longest, if not the longest, ever hit at the vet was the Willie Stargell mammoth home run to which you refer. Yeah. I think it's uh, really interesting when you think back, because one of the hardest balls I ever saw hit was hit by Frank Howard. He was with the Dodgers at this time, and playing in the World Series at Yankee Stadium against Whitey Ford. And he had a line drive back at the mound. Whitey Ford put his, well, sort of defensively, put his hand up to catch it, and the ball went straight out behind the monuments, hit behind the monuments in dead center wow. field. And, well, and when you turn around <laughs> to, to look at Frank Howard, we're still on first base. He did Mail got the ball, got it back in before he ever got this. To get to second base, it bounced through the right, right through the monuments. It came right back to Mickey Mantle. Oh and the other, the other one I remember, and you, you may remember as well, at, at the Shy Park County Man Stadium, was when Richie Allen hit the ball and almost went out. Of, and there was never one that went out in center field. At uh, if I remember correctly, at Shy Park, uh, uh, and and. and uh, uh, he hit that ball. That, that was pardon. Four forty-seven, the straightaway center yeah. at Connie. Yeah. Yeah. That was a, that was that was one of the, that was the other hardest ball I ever saw hit. Those three would go one, two, three. I agree with you, Dan. Uh, I've got another PA announcer story for you, Don. You mentioned the great Mickey Mantle. Uh, Bob Shepard's first year as PA announcer at Yankee Stadium was nineteen fifty-one. Uh, that was also the last year of the great Yankee clipper, Joe DiMaggio. And it was the right. first year of Mickey Mantle. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Mickey Mantle won the Triple Crown in 1956. Uh, most home runs, uh, most RBIs, and the batting champion, highest batting average in the American League, all three. Well, at the uh, New York Sports Writers Dinner, uh, that winner, you know, following his triple crown season, uh, Bob Shepard and Mickey Mantle had not met. And uh, Bob Shepard attended the dinner also, at which uh, Mickey was to receive a nice award for his achievement. And Mickey Mantle went up and introduced himself, and he said, uh, Mr. Shepard, uh, I just want to introduce myself and tell you that Every time you introduce me, I get goose pimples. And Bob Shepard said to Mickey, Mickey, every time I introduce you, I get goose pimples. <laughs> Isn't that a great story? <laughs> well, that's a great the funny story. thing about that is, Dan, that uh, when you talk about Bob Shepard, of course, a, a tremendous, tremendous. Uh, uh, but he was like yourself. You started out as a teacher as well. But he was a teacher at St. John's. He was not a uh, 
you know, he was not a baseball aficionado that somebody would say, well, this is a guy that knows all about baseball. He, he was an educator. Yes. Yes. Yeah, at, uh, and he was for many years. And, uh, of course, uh, Bob is in many halls of fame in the New York area. And they still, in, uh, to this day, uh, they have a full page in the New York Yankees uh, media guide uh, dedicated to the late, great Bob Shepard. Wow. Well, like the thing you is, did, even, after did, Bob, uh, even after too. Bob died, even after Bob died, sorry, Roger, but uh, one thing that the, the Jeter requested, and until yes. Jeter left Yankee Stadium, he was always introduced by Bob Shepard, even though Bob Shepard had passed away years before. What a, what a oh, tribute. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Ooh. Well, I was going to say, Don, that uh, like uh, uh, Bob Shepard, Dan, I mean, like Dan, Bob Shepard also did the Giants games, you know, for football. Yes. So he did the Yankees and the Giants. And, uh, and I think, you know, I think Roger, he did the New York football Giants for 50 years. That's if what I'm, I'm saying. Mistaken. Yeah, he, he did. Yeah. The, yeah, you're right, Dan. That's what I meant. He, he did the uh, football Giants. And, and I yeah. have no idea uh, if he ever did any uh, uh, baseball giant games at the Polo Grounds. Uh, well, or, I, I don't think so. Yeah. He also no, I don't think so. the Navy game, I can tell you that. He would come down to the old John F. Kennedy Stadium, Municipal Stadium. You fellows will all remember that. And uh, I, I attended a few Army-Navy games there myself, not as the announcer, you know, as a fan. Uh, and... Uh, Oh, just a great, great announcer. And I, I went up to observe him several times early in my career because uh, I wanted to learn from the best. And uh, he would, he, you know, he would uh, I'd sit right there in the booth with him and, uh, you know, watch him and, uh, you know, that great elocution and uh, wonderful, wonderful voice. Uh, he sets a, a good example for all of us. And he probably was a, a, just a gentleman uh, in real life when you were with him, just like he appeared, Dan. Yes, yes. And, he, he you know, when you're talking with him, you know how uh, sometimes those of us in radio and TV and public address announcing, you know, you'll put a little more oomph when you're performing, so to speak. Uh, but uh, Bob spoke the same way in person as he did over the PA. You know, uh, uh, very precise, uh, you know, and uh, uh, very understandable, and uh, just a pleasure to listen to. Well, Dan, I want to thank you so very, very much. I know you and Roger got together along with Frank, and uh, first of all, just congratulations on being back behind the microphone and a recovery in the whole health product, and I hope you'll join us uh, every now and then just to fill us in on some of what's happening in the world of baseball. I'd be happy to, Don. Thank all of That'd be wonderful, Dan. And go Philly. Hey, Dan, before, okay. Dan, before you go, um, I'm, I'm just checking. I check the numbers about every 10 minutes. Uh, we had put a, a blurb out on uh, Facebook, and we put it out on uh, two other social medias as well as our, our, our program here. And um, normally we we broadcast out to 266,000, around five or six, sometimes seven. But tonight I wanted to let you know that we've got a a a spike in the Philadelphia area of almost 17,000. We're up to 267,000 
512 wow. tonight. So that I is have a lot of relatives that live in this area. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and everybody. When you bring Dan on, it's like bringing Joe DiMaggio on. So it's all right. That's right. That's right. That's That's right. I don't have enough money to give all of you to thank you for the compliments. <laughs> <laughs> all of the Bull Session fans, too, Dan. All the Bull Session fans are with you. us tonight. That's right. Well, thank Steve Gatello is already We're going to continue the, ba- the baseball operations. Steve Gatello with us and joins us every once in a while. We have a chance to learn something. A baseball historian. We we did a little historian conversation with Dan Baker over the last fifty years. But Steve, nice to have you back with us, and uh, you got a lot to talk about tonight. So so many things are going on. Yeah, the, the beginning of the baseball season. It's been a lot of fun, you know. Uh, just just being able to go around the league and watch, you know, and uh, see some of the teams, you know, that are supposed to be good, that are really good, like watching the Dodgers so far this year. I mean. <laughs> That is one well-built team. Roger, for now, what you started off. Future. Steve, I'll tell you, you're you're exactly right. And I brought up earlier that uh, a team that's really impressed me. I knew they were going to be pretty good, but I also thought they would be a lot better than a lot of uh, experts uh, predicted. And that's the Miami Marlins. Uh, they're Ooh. up over the Braves. They destroyed them last night. They're up five to two. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm really impressed with them in, in, in the National League East. And uh, and also the Phillies are not hitting like we thought that they would, and they're down uh, in a no-hitter through four uh, to Peterson with the Mets. But, uh, you know, what's your feeling about some of these surprise teams? I know Roy Cummings was talking about the lack of hitting by the Cubs. The uh, So talk a little bit about what has surprised you in a positive and also a negative way. Yeah, you know, early in the year, I'm not going to bang too much on the Cubs' offense. Uh, Wrigley Field, I know they played. I haven't played every game there, but, you know, it's not a real offensive environment early in the year. Um, but they, they're going to have to get the bats going, and hopefully they will. Uh, the Marlins are, are a wonderfully fun team to watch. I mean, uh, they got a character in Jesus Aguilar, and I, you know, I, I got a chance to meet him and when he was down here playing for the Rays. And uh, uh, they've got a, a really electric kid in Jazz Chisholm. I mean, if you have a chance to watch this kid, he is something else. Um, Miguel Rojas is coming into his own. Garrett Cooper's out there, and then they have the arm. They come at you with the ar- a lot of arm, Alcantara, mm-hmm. etc. You know, even this Nick Nieder that's pitching tonight. Uh, you know, he's, he is a prospect, and they picked him up, I believe, from Seattle um, in a deal a while ago. But uh, they're an exciting team, even without Sixto Sanchez. You know, I don't, I'm not sure how long he's going to be out, but they come at you with arms. Uh, they got a good manager in Don Mattingly who keeps that team focused, and they have a nice blend of young kids, like I mentioned, Jazz Chisholm. And then you move out to, like, a guy like Corey Dickerson who's been around for a while. They picked up Adam Duvall. To add a little bit of pop in the middle of the lineup with Cooper and uh, Aguilar, so uh, I don't I don't see them going away too much. Um, I don't know if they have the horses to compete in the East all year, but they will be entertaining all year if that makes sense. We talked the last time you were with us about the Rays, and uh, they're not just supported the already going all it's up and down a little bit. But uh, in the first half hour, we chatted with uh, Roy Cummings about the performance two nights ago by Kinsel. And I, I, I thought it was one of the best uh, pitching performances. Struck out 14, threw 111 pitches in uh, seven and a third. 
I thought it was one of the better games that uh, I had seen in quite some time. Yeah, that was a that was a dominant performance by uh, uh, Tyler Glass. Now, and you know, mm-hmm. I, I think the happiest person in the entire uh, stadium that night was uh, Kevin Cash when Tyler Glass now gave up a hit. You know, because you never want to be in that situation <laughs> where he's at eleven. You know, where he has a you know one hundred eleven pitches and seven and a third no hit innings. But uh, right. Glass now, uh, what what makes Glass now so? Um, impressive this year is he added in a slider and he can actually move it in and out how he wants. Now, his first couple of years at the Rays, he was he was pretty much a 50-50 fastball changeup or fastball curveball. So you pretty much you kind of knew what was coming, one or the other. So the you know you could eventually kind of time him up. Now it's a third pitch and it's a third fourth pitch because he can, like I said, he can move it and he can give a depth and body either in or out, however he wants to use it. And you're seeing it now at 111 pitches. There's not a lot of pitchers that are, are, are at seven and a third innings or 107, whatever it was, that are at a seven and a third innings um, anymore. So I think, it was, I think it was 111, but I'm not sure. Yeah. Whatever it was, it was nice to see. And, uh, the seven and a third is what really sticks out, you know, getting deeper into games. And at a point, Tommy, I, we won't. We won't get into magnifying early in the season, but the Rays needed innings out of a starter, you know, that, and that was a stopper-type performance. And that's how you get put on the map in Major League Baseball as an ace when your team needs um, efficient and effective innings and length, and that guy comes out there and gives it to you. Donnie? Steve, how are you doing tonight, Steve? Hope things are fine. I'm doing good, Steve. Steve, question in Cleveland. Is pressure on Francona this year to try to get this team over the top again? No, they're not expected to get over the top. Uh, the White Sox and Twins are better than Cleveland. Uh, that's that's simply Ooh. where where the division is right now. Uh, barring injury, um, the Cleveland Indians should finish in third place. They do not have the horses. Um, you know, they don't have a first base, and they got Jake Bowers and Yu Chang kind of rotating in and out of there. You know, uh, they they just don't have what you need. Um, you know, Andre Jimenez is 20 or 21 years old. He's a young kid uh, that they picked up in the shortstop. You know, uh, his bat's going to take a few years to mature. You know, uh, in the outfield, they still really don't have a great outfield. You know, they're messing around with uh, uh, with uh, Andres, uh, the guy that the the guy they got from the Mets. That Andres, uh, well, I'm missing his name for some reason. Uh, he's playing center field now. He was the shortstop. I'm Ed Rosario. Um, Eddie Rosario was a nice pickup, but I have a feeling he'll be traded at the deadline. Uh, the Indians have all the pitching in the world, guys. I mean, they do have, you know, mm. uh, Karen Check and Classe um, and Whitgren at the end of their bullpen. They still have Shane Bieber, uh, Savale, and Plesak in the rotation. Um, it's just over a course of 162 games. I don't think they have the horses to take down the Chicago White Sox or the Minnesota Twins. Without the extra playoff spot, that makes it hard for Cleveland to sneak in on the wild card either. So uh, the pressure won't be on Francona this year. Now, he may step away on his own due to health and just where he's at in his career. He may step away at the end of the year, uh, but the Indians won't let him go. Steve Gonzalez oh is our special guest this period of the time. And, Roger, you're next up. Um, you know, I was just uh, watching the uh, the Marlins Braves. Braves are uh, up five two. Phillies have just had a home run from Segura, two one in favor of uh, the Mets. Um, 
see you. I know you what you uh, said. I respect you know what you said about early in the season. The uh, if you were to pick a player right now uh, that you would see as the uh, MVP, you know, because I'm a big fan of Freddie Freeman, and obviously you won it last year. Uh, who would you predict uh, would be the uh, uh, MVP in each league uh, this year? Man, that, that's tough. The National League um, is a lot tougher than the American League. Uh, the National League, when you look at Freddie Freeman, who I absolutely love, on his same team as Ronald Acuna, who is is just all world. I mean, there's 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 not many players that are better than Ronald Acuna. Um, and then you got Juan Soto over there in Washington. You know, you take a look at those three, and you say, "Geez, I mean, if they if they just keep hitting the way they've hit the last couple of years." And a 162-game season, my money, if I was going to Vegas in the National League, would probably go on Juan Soto because I, I believe he is the most complete, dominant player. Uh, then And then it would be Freeman or Acuna. I just have a feeling that the votes might get split between them, putting Soto in front. Um, in the American League, it's a little more difficult. Um, I always tell people, if I'm going to Vegas, I can go blind, and I'm putting money on Mike Trout. Uh, he's just the most, the most fantastic player in the American League. You know, uh, you could have a breakout from uh, Vladdy Guerrero or you have a breakout from Bo Bichette. You know, DJ LeMay, you could be all world like he usually is. You know, that guy can hit. Uh, but I'll, I'll stick with – I'll go with Mike Trout. Uh, I still – I'm stunned that he struck out four times in one game yesterday. Uh, for I think it was like the fourth or fifth time in his career. Um, but, yeah, my money would be on Mike Trout. Well, the bookmakers yeah. agree with you because he was a two-and-a-half-to-one choice. Before the season began, <laughs> and uh, it drops off. <laughs> it drops off after that. So now he's he's pretty much the dominant pick and all that. All he has to do is stay healthy, and uh, he's got a very good chance of winning another MVP award. Uh, Steve, we well, we had a we had a question. You. Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, I will tell you one of the greatest things to watch early this season and or listen to. I tell you guys, I listen to a lot of radio broadcasts as I go to bed at night. Um, is show up Shohei Atane out there in uh, uh, Los Angeles as, as he's fully healthy, both on the mound and in the batter's box. I saw him hit a 119-mile-an-hour uh, uh, double the other night. <laughs> I just uh, – the guy is something. But, anyway, we'll leave that there. I'm just saying he, he's off to a good start. It's good to see him healthy. The game needs it. That's the key. And, of course, he comes from around our area, Roger, as you well know. He's a uh... Yeah. Jersey guy, and they were sort of hoping he'd come to Philadelphia when he was a free agent, but the, <laughs> the money and the opportunity just didn't come about. But, Steve, you may remember, I do not. We had a question that was sort of complicated when you left us the last time that you were going to look up for us, and, and I don't remember what it was, and maybe you don't either. But <laughs> Well, I, I remember I, uh, I texted over to uh, Frank when I looked at it, Basically, we were talking about the statistic that's called OPS Plus, which is a fun okay. statistic to look to on, like, baseball reference, uh, because what it does is it normalizes a player's season uh, based on the league and the offensive environment and parks they play on. For instance, if you look at uh, Hank Aaron's career uh, without OPS Plus, you're not even looked at, you just look at Hank Aaron's career, and in 1968, the year of the pitcher, you'd say, man, what was wrong? with Hank Aaron. He, he just did not have a good season. Um, but then you look at the OPS plus and he was like 70% above league average. And you say, okay, 
nobody was hitting that year, but Hank Aaron continued to hit real well. And we were talking about Babe Ruth and how he was like, you know, uh, basically OPS plus is factored at 100. So if you're 140, you're 40% better than league average. And Babe Ruth all those years was around a 220, 230. And, yes, that means he was offensively 120, 130% better than league average. Um, And then, you know, somebody asked about Lou Gehrig. Now, Lou Gehrig was – uh, very good, but he wasn't, you know, he had a couple of years where he got up to like 190, 200, but he wasn't Babe Ruth. Babe Ruth is really, uh, compared to the league, of course, uh, one of the greatest um, of all time. It's, it's, it's just, you know, you look at it and you say, wow, uh, gentlemen, in our, in our like last 30 years, the guy that really sticks out is, of course, Mike Trout, but Barry Bonds. You know, Barry Bonds had a few years where his OPS plus crept up into that 215, 220 area. But it's a fun How about Ted Williams? How would, he, how would he have matched up? Yeah, you, you go look at Williams. It was the same way because, you know, uh, Williams was probably like a 180, 190, 200. You know, I could, you know, you, if you go to baseballreference.com and you type in any player, you'll see batting average on base slugging. Mm. The next column over is OPS plus. And okay. you'll see a number, you know, and you can laugh at some of them, you know, because. You know, like I said, you know, the Hank Aaron one really sticks out. 1968, you know, his numbers are very pedestrian. But then, you know, somebody like me who wasn't born in 1968 and maybe didn't know it was the year of the pitcher, now I I can look and say, Hank Aaron had one hell of a year. (laughs) (laughs) Tommy? Yes, he did. Steve, I can't believe how baseball is so quick right now. came came upon us right now. But it's great to see fans in the – in the stadium right now, and I think I still think the Rays are the team to beat in the in the American League. I saw a couple of the games via by TV and that, and of course Brian Anderson, Dwayne Stats are the top guys I think in the in the in the, in the baseball, except for Tom Hamilton and also Rick Mann. Those are my two all four favorites in there. So I, I just I just hope the Rays have a good year this year, and I think they're going to be back in the. Back in the World Series at this time, Kevin Cash could have won the damn thing. Well, we'll see, gentlemen. Uh, the way the Rays are going about uh, the 2021 20, uh, season is very much the way they went about the 2018 season where they won 90 games and surprised a lot of people. Uh, they're kind of playing for the long haul. Uh, right now, what you see that's on the field is going to kind of turn over um, as the year goes on. Like They held back guys like uh, Shane McClanahan, and uh, Brent Honeywell, um, Brennan McKay is down there, you know, getting his work in, um, and Luis Patino, who they picked up from the Padres, and a few other guys, Wander Franco, the number one prospect in baseball. What they're going to do is they're, they're going to bank on every team to do one of two things this year. You can go out there, and this is a surprise to me that some guys are doing this, you can go out there and play your normal April, May, June, and July that you would have done in, in 2019. Well, you know, the dog days of August are going to come. And what if you're, t- you know, coming off a 60 game season, you might actually have a dog days of August and September and teams might topple at that point, or you can do it the raise way. And that is be very economic in, you know, April, May, June, uh, you, you, and, and it leaves some, uh, leaves some gas in the tank through the course of the season. Um, so most teams are doing one or the other. 
you know, I am I am very surprised to see the Indians letting their starters into the ground uh, early on. But, hey, who knows? I don't know and you don't know how they're going to look in August. Um, but we'll see how when the innings when the innings add up on the arm. You know, a lot of these guys threw 70 innings last year, and they're going to be asked to throw 160, 180 this year. Um, we'll have to see what it looks like in August and September. Well, they're down two nothing right now to the Rangers. They beat the Rangers early on. Of course, uh, we, the game we talked about with the great pitching performance, terrific mm-hmm. game was a one nothing. And uh, but would you? What, Aren't you a little bit surprised at the Rays that they would not be a little bit more offensive at this point? I, I thought their offense was going to be a little bit better than it's been. Well, I, I am a little bit surprised. At the, at the same time, it's it's a peak and valley right now, and the Rays just aren't hitting. Um, you know, losing, and it doesn't sound like much, but losing G-Man Choi uh, hurt and having uh, this Yoshi Fitsugo in the lineup is kind of like having a National League pitcher in the lineup. I don't want to be too mean to him. He's just really been lost uh, since about uh, the playoffs last year. He just hasn't picked it up. But a few guys are scuffling. And when you take a guy like Brandon Lau and he's scuffling and you take a guy like uh, 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 like Willie Adamas that hasn't really hit his gear yet, Yandy Diaz. Steve, Steve, let let me just interrupt for a second because the run that I talked about that they scored while we were just chatting, uh, it's now being reviewed, and I think the run's going to be taken away. I think the uh, uh, the call well, by the uh, by the replay people, replay people are going to call take this one away. Go ahead. Yeah, the Rays oh, the Rays need to score more runs, and they need to get in gear uh, for for whatever reason. You know, I've seen this. You know, watching the team as close as I do, uh, the uh, the Rays offense is very skittish, and for whatever reason, they don't play well. If they don't score and hit well at home, a lot of times, what, what they end up doing right. on the call. Well, he, 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 the, the play, the play is being reversed. He's out, and it was uh, oh, very cool. clear on the replay. So it's still one nothing guys, Rangers right now. What did you guys think oh, of the cool. Sunday night baseball call? <laughs> I guess, I guess, <laughs> well, the, the umpires <laughs> already said they were wrong, so I guess. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't believe that when when I saw that that play come across the plate, you know, and uh, it was just it was a good game though. I mean, a very good game. It's just uh, unfortunate that it ended on that kind of a play. Yeah, no question about that. And uh, it's got a lot of. It's amazing that the uh, the umpires, uh, of course, now with the, there's not really much you can do because it's uh, in most cases it's shown so clearly that they made a mistake. And uh, in that particular case, you're talking about the umpire did come out the next day and say, you know, we made a mistake. I made a mistake. He didn't say we made a mistake. He said I made a mistake. So, well, you know. And, and yeah, the, uh, the I, I What's that? You know, it was reviewed, Steve, in New York, you know. So they had yeah. to uh, confirm, confirm it because it was challenged. Yeah, uh, a couple years ago, Joe Madden made the comment that they should put the nerds in charge of replay, um, you know, people that know how to break down video that are impartial. And one of the problems is the guys in New York are umpires also, and it's kind of a fraternity. So you're trying to say, you know, one umpire, the, the guy's call on the field, you look at his positioning, he was right on the play at home plate, right? I mean, he wasn't out of position, you know, or anything. He no, was right there. Right. Huh? And he obviously right. missed it. And the guy in New York might not want to, you know, say, hey, you know, you screwed up. You know, maybe it's one of those things. That's what Joe right. Madden said. That's not what uh, Steve Kinsella says. But, uh, 
That's what he <laughs> said. And, <laughs> you know, maybe well, Joe. Okay, had I think the. I think that part with the most courage was the one that was it, that when Don Drysdale had his string going and uh, against the Giants, San Francisco Giants, and he hit a batter and they, they you know, they called the batter out and there was, was right in the middle of the street, not in the middle of the street, close to the end of the street. I can't remember exactly how many consecutive <laughs> innings he had gone, but uh, uh, that had to be one of the most courageous calls uh, of an umpire that's ever made. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, one of the greatest moments of young Steve's life growing up watching baseball and, like, you know, getting away from just being a Cleveland Indians kid and Cleveland Indians guy was uh, when Oral Hershiser was chasing down uh, Drysdale and me opening my brain to who is this Don Drysdale guy, you know? Uh, mm-hmm. What was what made, what was he, you know, the Dodgers? And, I, you know, back then I was able to read about the Dodgers and Koufax and Drysdale and all these great stories. Whereas a young kid, you know, or a young adult, I really hadn't paid much attention. So I remember Oral Hershiser's string, and that was really, you know, a part of my uh, education because of that. He was he was an outstanding, not a great pitching coach, I didn't think, for Texas, but but he was an outstanding player. And another guy from oh, Jersey, he was right. He was a, he was a hockey player early on over at Cherry Hill, Roger. Remember? No, I, I didn't know that. I knew he was from Cherry Hill. But I'll tell you, I thought he was a very good broadcaster when he was doing the uh, was. network uh, analyst job. Yes, he was. And has, uh, have you guys discussed how, uh, to me, how positive a hire it was for Mike Sosa to take over the uh, U- Team USA for the World Baseball Classic? Uh-oh. No, we haven't talked about that. That's a great point. That's your buddy, Tommy, your classmate. I know. <laughs> Okay, he's one of he's one of the more uh, you root for because he's Tuesday. He's right from your Springfield, Delaware County. Right, but I I, I just can't imagine he went that many years with uh, Los Angeles with the Angels, California. Right. I, I without really being a contender. Uh, now, I, you know, like the management didn't do a good job for, but he didn't do a good job either in managing the team. I didn't think. Yeah. Yeah. Now, just, just to just to test my memory banks, gentlemen, was Sosa Hershiser's catcher in '88? <laughs> wow, that's a good point. I think he was. I think he was. <laughs> Sorry, it just popped into my brain. I don't know why. <laughs> I, think, I think he was. He was, um, you know, my 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 catcher. <laughs> Pretty fun stuff. Uh, the other big call, gentlemen, in baseball uh, early in the year since we talked about the Sunday night call was the Michael Conforto leaning out over the plate and getting hit on a strike for a walk-off hit by pitch. Uh, that yeah. was kind of ridiculous. Yeah, that, that, that's, uh, again, that was, as I said, that it was comparable to the Drysdale situation with the Giants, but uh, in this case they didn't call it. I mean, uh, he actually stuck his elbow out and got hit on uh, a little yep. bit on the elbow. Right. If he got hit, I don't know if he got hit or not, but if he did, it was pretty slight. Oh, wow. And he didn't, do, he didn't make any move to get out of the way of the pitch. That's exactly <laughs> what happened in, in a dry steel situation. Yeah. You know, you I, I, I've always hoped in my, you know, baseball, you know, uh, life of watching games, I wish more umpires would. Uh, not award a guy first base, you know. I just wish they would. You know, I, I don't. I don't understand why 
especially back in the 90s and early 2000s when everybody was wearing all the body armor. And was, you know, uh, Tommy, you can remember Travis Hafner just leaning over the plate and Ryan Garko wearing the big, mm-hmm. you know, protective sleeve, you know, and just taking hit by pitches and going down to first. Hey, your That's boy right. Bonds was the leader in that department. Holy smokes, mm-hmm. nobody got more, hit more than he did. <laughs> so yeah, Brandon Geyer might challenge anybody for, you know, uh, hit by pitch per plate appearance somehow. Chris Bryant, I think, also might, or is it Rizzo? One of the Cubs gets hit quite a bit. I think it's Rizzo. <laughs> Yeah, maybe that's what the I think you're right. I, I think you're right. I think Rizzo does get hit quite a bit. Roger? Yeah, I was just uh, looking up uh, the records. You're exactly right, Steve. The uh, uh, I wanted to see on uh, Hershiser, uh, but uh, uh, Mike Sosha was there at, with the Dodgers during that period in the 80s. And uh, let's see, uh, Hershiser uh, came up with the Dodgers in 83. So mm-hmm. you were right. He was would have right. been uh, he would have been his catcher. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Hey, these memories wow. just pop up somehow in my brain. I don't know where, where they're filtered or filed <laughs> to come up. Well, I'll tell you, the guy that the catcher to talk about that uh, is Jeff Torborg. Went to Rutgers. He was a Dodger wow. catcher too, and uh, mm-hmm. he yeah. caught more no hitter. He caught more no hitters than anybody. He caught three of them, I believe. Wow. Yeah. Now, young Steve remembers him, I believe, as a manager of the Indians. I, I want to say right before right. Davey Garcia. He wasn't yeah. that good a manager either. He was terrible. He was manager of the Mets too. Well, yeah. And then right. I want to say maybe he had some function with the Miami Marlins. Uh, he was relieved the one the midway uh, mid season when uh, especially knows this that uh, he was going to be the uh, coach of Princeton University. Wow, uh, baseball! And what happened is that it was all announced. You remember that, Don? It was all yes. announced, and then uh, the. Uh, George Steinbrenner came to him, made him a better deal to stay with the Yankees instead of going to Princeton. But, uh, right. you know, we were, uh, we used to do Princeton uh, sports, basketball and uh, football and some other uh, sports at times uh, when a station in Princeton and we were having him on, you know, uh, about it. And I met him at a uh, luncheon or a dinner, I think it was. And we talked about yeah. it and I still have an autographed baseball from Jeff Thorberg. Nice. Yeah, he he lived right here in Sarasota, out on uh, Siesta for a long time. Uh, he's now moved over to the East Coast with his son, but uh, he caught two Sandy Koufax no hitters and one Nolan Ryan no hitter when he was in, with uh, the Rangers. Wow. Wow. He went to Marlins and replaced by Jack McKeon by any chance? That's right, Jack McKeon. He was fired in the middle of the season. Jack McKeon took over. He won the American League pennant, went into the World Series. Nobody thought he had a chance. Pitched the young kid that was running a rookie in the, in the sixth game of the World Series and won it. And then he retired again and went back. He lives uh, in the same town my son lives in, in Burlington, North Carolina. He sees him in the gym every day. Wow. wow. That's, that's... Trade, Trader Jack McKinney. Yeah. Trader Jack. 
Yeah, he, he, he may be back that, here. Just like Tony La <laughs> yeah, I think that uh, Jack McKeon stopped going to the winter meetings when they started to tell him he couldn't smoke his cigars in the hotel lobbies. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> you know, like, why am I even going to show up for this if I can't enjoy myself? I'll tell you, when he was the GM of San Diego, boy, he moved people around. They didn't win very often, but he moved a lot. He had one of the great, one of the nicest scouts of uh, any scout I ever worked with over the course of the years. I can't think of his name off the top of my head. But he had a good scouting force. Uh, but, boy, did he like to make trades. He he, he would trade anybody. <laughs> yeah. Here's a little uh, insight on that uh, Jack McKeon with San Diego. Uh, Bill Klasky uh, wrote a book about Dick Williams. And, boy, did Dick Williams and Jack McKeon not get along. Uh, Williams was convinced that uh, McKeon just wanted his job. And he was either going to fire, find a way to play, you know, bad enough to fire him, or trade away everybody that Dick Williams liked. So Dick Williams, <laughs> a lot of the guys that were moved were to, to to anger him to the point of, okay, that's it, I quit, you know. And then Jack McKean would go in the dugout, and I don't know if at the end Jack McKean ended up managing San Diego and firing Williams or how it ended. Uh, but the book by Bill Klas- uh, Bill Plasky is fantastic. Dick Williams had a, an incredible baseball life, but was really the, the the part of the book about McKeon and Williams in San Diego is absolutely fantastic. Well, if I remember well, Williams correctly, you can check me if I'm wrong. He's another Dodger product. The Dodgers, uh, have, they wound up with more managers there for a period of time than, than any organization. And I believe Williams was one of the players coming up through the Dodger organization in his playing days. Is that correct or incorrect? It, it sounds about right. I think I think him yeah. and his daughter were in the minors together. Yeah. Um, you know, the Indians one year in the mid-'80s had four future managers on the roster at the same time. And, of course, yeah. the hitting coach at the time was Charlie Manuel, who went on to be right. a manager. But they had uh, Buddy Black. They had, uh, mm-hmm. uh, they had uh, Ron Washington. <laughs> They had Terry Francona, and I'm trying to remember the fourth one, but they had oh, one more uh, manager on the on the team. They had four at one time, and then they also had uh, Charlie Manuel as the hitting coach. Well, I'll tell you, you got me uh, investigating now, Steve. Uh, Torberg <laughs> left the Yankees to become manager of the Chicago White Sox. I remember and, that. Uh, Helm, they won 94 games, 25-game improvement over 89, and he was American League Manager of the Year. He also then uh, moved on after uh, the White Sox to the Mets. Wasn't as successful there, and uh, he was replaced there by Dallas Green. Uh, he did some wow. broadcasting, and he was managed the Montreal Expos. I forgot about that. Yeah. I did too. And the and you were right, the Florida Marlins in 2002, and uh, mm-hmm. this is where you're going to love. He uh, he was fired by the Marlins and replaced by Jack McKean. That's right. That's exactly right. I'll tell you, I'm good friends with Jeff, I'll, and I'll, I'll see if I can get a hold of him. And uh, his uh, <clears throat> his son's a straight conditioning coach for the White Sox. And uh, cool. but anyway, to make, make, make a long story short, he's over on the East Coast. Uh, he has Parkinson's now, so uh, I, I don't oh, know. Uh, yeah, oh, he's had it for about maybe two, two and a half, three years, something like that. 
But he's been doing, mm-hmm. doing very well. Been doing very well. And uh, so maybe I can get a hold of him and we'll have him on the show in the next couple of weeks if he'd like to do it. Oh, he also, uh, uh, Coach, uh, he also caught Sandy Koufax's perfect game. 65. That's right. Thorberg did? Yeah, Thorberg did. Yeah. And Bill Singer, no hitter. That's one of his no hitter catching, yes. And Nolan mm-hmm. Ryan, uh, just like uh, his uh, first of Nolan Ryan's seven no hitters. Mm. Yeah, and I know somebody caught two of Ryan's. I can't remember the catcher, but I know somebody caught two of Nolan Ryan's. Well, that'd be great to have him on, Don, because uh, I always uh, love uh, being, you know, uh, in a position to talk to him. And unfortunately, I was able to, you know, have him as a guest uh, several times years ago on WH. So uh, that would be fantastic. Well, I'll see if we can get a hold of him and whether you know, how he uh, have a talk to him now for a few months. And, and, uh, so I'll get a chance to talk to him. He's got a house that still has a house down in Long Beach Island, and uh, he's always been down there in the summertime. So uh, we will. Steve, I want to thank you so much. It's always a terrific uh, segment of the show when you come on with us. We talk about so many different things and so many facts and figures. I really appreciate your time, and I hope you'll keep coming on with us. You know I will, gentlemen. Enjoy your evening. Take Steve, care. Thanks for having me. We like Thank you. Go try. All right, now, fellas, we can get the golf clubs out of the closet for you people up there in the north that are listening to the show. <laughs> we had a big jump in the Philadelphia area tonight because of Dan Baker, so I know most of them are still hanging in there, and uh, <laughs> they're going to get their golf clubs out because it's now going to be in the 60-degree range. <laughs> And uh, mm-hmm. Doug Hamilton, our resident PGA pro, is uh, going to give us some information about the world of golf and the Masters tournament. Mm-hmm. Doug, nice to have you back with us. Well, thank, thank you. you I always look forward to, you know, each and every week I get a chance to spend with you guys. Um, you know, as I've mentioned, I've learned uh, so much over the years, and, and it's certainly been good training for me in terms of um, – just speaking in front of people and not necessarily being scripted, not knowing exactly what questions were going to be asked. It's, it's been wonderful to learn as much as I have over the years from you guys. What do you think about that Twitter of the masters? Uh, that was, uh, that was quite a final day. And yeah. uh, it was a real surprises in the tournament with great players that didn't make it. And mm-hmm. well, just get your observations on the masters. Yeah. That's right. Well, I'm, you know, um, Gosh, I I, uh, I hate to be polarizing from the from the very start of this, but I think that I've I've always looked at golfers as golfers. You know, people are people, and I really don't understand why um, we have to characterize him as the first Japanese, you know, male to have won the Masters. I don't I don't find that necessarily to be relevant uh, to me because um, I, I think that he's been a wonderful golfer for a very long time, um, and he just hasn't really had his chance to. Uh, take a step forward, um, you know, and, and win, you know, the big one. Um, so, um, you know, we, we talk about people's age, we talk about their, their race, we talk about all these different things as it pertains to them being in the winner's circle. And I don't, I just don't understand that. That's just not relevant to me. You know, I think that, um, you know, if you're mentioning the, the top golfers in the world, um, you know, Matsuyama's name, you know, would be on the tip of your tongue at some point in time. I mean, I think there's, you know, an awful lot of golfers that, that people may mention before his, uh, be, you know, before his name, but I don't, 
I think that he's there for a reason. I mean, he's he's played wonderfully over the years, um, even as an amateur golfer. So, um, you know, for him to win this event, um, I, I think that he was the best player uh, over the weekend. And I think that because he's Japanese, that doesn't have any relevance to me. Well, Doug, before I get these other guys involved, I, I, I uh, follow up on what you're saying by saying that, uh, and and we follow, we all follow baseball, and for uh, well, whatever the reason, the Japanese press. I mean, if you were with the Yankees when, you know, they cover, you know, sometimes they have twenty, thirty reporters going around, mm-hmm. and during the course of the telecast of the Masters, at least on Sunday, they talked about. How many people are up at five o'clock in the morning watching the Masters because he's playing? Sure. And and that and that's a I think that's the biggest segment of saying he's the first For you sure. know uh, uh, Japanese well, player I mean, because they they get such support from the media. Yeah. Well, I mean, listen. I think that that sports in general has. Um, I mean, golf is golf isn't concentrated to the United States of America. Um, you know, it's it's a world you know, phenomenon, just like, um, you know, baseball has become, um, I think it's wonderful for, um, you know, different countries to support their, their individual players and, and, uh, who wouldn't, you know, if you're in, if you're in Japan, you know, get up at whatever time it is to, uh, you know, to watch your guy. Um, right. you know, I, I, we all find ourselves waking up at the crack of dawn to watch the British open because, you know, that's when it's on, and, and, and that's the cool part about it. It's something that's a little bit different for us, you know, as opposed to watching it in, in our time. Um, you know, but, but baseball is the same concept. I mean, you know, there's so many different countries that are represented, um, and there are so many incredible players that span, you know, the globe, you know, regardless of, you know, who or what or, or when or how, you know. Um, I mean, golf is, is a game that has a, a golf club and a golf ball, and if you can find um, – you know, a place to play. It, it, it doesn't matter what your religion, your nationality, or any of those things are. You know, we're all equal once we step onto that, you know, first tee or that pitcher's mound or that batter's box or, or whatever the case may be. So, um, you know, I think it's wonderful, and I think that the Masters, is just like any other major, is a tournament that, you know, when spring training breaks, there's 32 teams that think they can win the World Series, but at the end of the day, there's only one that does. So it's the same concept in, in the Masters. You know, there are a lot of people that went there thinking their games were in, in prime shape. You know, Dustin Johnson uh, just won the tournament in November, and he didn't even make the cut, you know. So, I mean, he right. had not gone into that event thinking that, you know, he was the odds-on favorite and that, that um, you know, things were falling his way in terms of how he was going to play. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, there's a number of other individuals that probably felt the same way, but they just they didn't Rory. have the takes. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, Roger, you're up. Yeah, well, you know, two things. Uh, I have a golf uh, comment, but uh, they just showed a replay of uh, Jorge Alfaro of uh, the uh, Marlins. And if you look at one shot, definitely he was uh, safe. You look at another shot, which really is a better shot, he's definitely out. So it's just amazing uh, when you see different uh, angles. But, Doug, my uh, golf question is, uh, the really big story from the Masters is Gary Player's son is banned from yeah. all future Masters. How yes. about that, man? Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, gosh, anytime the spotlight shines on you, it's your it's your opportunity to to do the right thing or not. And uh, unfortunately, he didn't. So, um, 
you know, what can you say? You know, I mean, it's, I guess. Uh, he's had trouble. He's had trouble before. Well, it's, what do they say? Act like you've been there before, you know. I mean, you know, it's it's one of those, Barry Sanders used to score a touchdown and hand the ball to the referee, and that's what he said, you know, act like you've been there before. So, you know, that's, that's that certainly wasn't the case, um, you know. What can you say? Certainly he was right? He was promoting golf balls. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And their brand. His his brand. His brand. Even though it, did, it even though it, 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 it does his name isn't on it. I forget the name of the brand now, but uh, I thought when I first read it that it was you know uh they had used his name on the golf ball, but it wasn't. It was it, maybe you know better than I, Doug. I just can't remember the name mm-hmm. of the brand of the that he uh, he represented <laughs> that they were holding up. Tommy, you're in. Brand X, Brand X no, no compression. You hit the ball and it explodes. <laughs> right. He, he got Doug, them from Costco. They were the Kirklands. I don't know what they, I don't know what they were. <laughs> I just pulled it up on the uh, on the computer and it's uh, it's spelled R A N G. It must be Ron J. <laughs> I, I could I couldn't remember I couldn't remember the name, but I I, I you know it was a very embarrassing for his father, no question about it. Mm-hmm. Why would you do such a dumb thing like that to to sell golf balls on the on the you know the, the masses? It's the stupidest thing to sell those golf mm-hmm. balls because you, your father's name, your father, you played so much great golf, winning the masses for. Several years when the PGA's tour started, so you're, so you're going to be the, the dummy of the family to go sell golf balls, which you don't even need the money up there. That, stupid people. Well, that, that was the thing, Tommy. Go ahead, Doug. I was going to say, to that, that point, the I think, uh, yeah. well, it wasn't. Oh, no. well, oh what was no. it? He was standing behind Lee Elder, and it was Lee Elder's mm. day when he got close as, as close as he could to the camera and he had the, the golf balls in his hands and everybody could see it. And that's, oh. what, uh, that's what the controversy's over. Mm. He was like, he's like the, that clown that used to dye his hair up, but always was right behind oh, and yeah, play yeah. with his side. Well, this mm-hmm. is the same right. situation. He held the, he held the right. golf ball so that everybody could see him. It took away right. from the yeah. uh, dedication of the opening of the tour. Mm. That's what right. he did. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe his name was Morgana. Maybe he was the kissing bandit. Maybe it was Morgana. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't built like that. <laughs> right? Oh, I, think, I, think his, I think his golf balls were a little bit smaller. <laughs> <laughs> you probably hit him, Doug, and they'd probably explode when you hit him. Right? <laughs> uh, I was going to say, Tommy, to your point, why why do people do stupid things? I think uh, I think that guy Bernie Madoff died today in prison. You talk about yes. doing stupid things. Well, there you there you yep. go. Yeah, you he know, did why die. he died this morning. Yeah, why he do people do stupid things? I mean, because they can. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Well, uh, they haven't got they haven't got Bill Cosby out yet. <laughs> Nobody could have done more tougher. Bill Cosby did. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, true. you know. Well, that's, there Such might a be a spike in pudding pops or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> no, they, well, tell us a little bit about the golf, the golf front down there in Baltimore, Maryland. Is, uh, is the weather breaking yeah. a little bit? Because we, get, so we have such beautiful weather down here. We get 
we didn't really get spoiled. But how, how are things mm-hmm. in Baltimore and, and uh, are people out there starting to play? Sure. Yeah, it's a typical spring. Um, you know, you'll, you'll catch a couple of uh, 65, 70-degree days where it's sunny, and then all of a sudden it'll waver back into the, you know, upper 50s and, and make you think it's, you know, March and April, you know, typical like. Um, it was kind of rainy today, and, and um, we didn't really see a whole lot of action, but it was it was a great opportunity uh, for me to um, kind of sit in the office and, and um, you know, just pound out some paperwork and, and, you know, hang out in there and on the computer and, you know, all the late nature of what we're trying to do in terms of ordering stuff for the golf shop. I had uh, several packages there uh, that I needed to unpack and, and put into my inventory. And, um, you know, we're starting to, you know, acquire different things in terms of making the golf shop, you know, look populated with, with bags and apparel and, and, you know, soft goods and those sorts of things. So, um, you know, day by day, it just seems like every time, you know, I, I I tell the story all the time. I tell it to my parents and everybody. It's like every day I go to work there, I feel like I get a little bit better at something. You know, whether it's, um, you know, taking some time out today, like I did to you know to hit some wedges. Uh, we have an indoor you know area that's heated, so I hit some wedges indoors while it was raining. Um, you know, um, just learning something about the facility itself, um, exploring a new area, meeting a new person. Um, now, whatever the case may be, I'm, I'm learning something. I'm developing as a human being every day, and it feels great um, to, um, you know, not know everything yet, you know, still have the gumption to want to learn it. You know, um, and I think that's part of our growth period as human beings, and I think that's incredibly important to, um, you know, taking a step forward. Um, it's something I've lacked over the last several years, and, um, you know, like you know, you guys mentioned, any anybody that um, changes jobs. You know, middle-aged, um, it, it can be a scary proposition. But if you just fasten your seatbelt, I mean, it, it might be a bumpy ride for a little bit. But you know, by golly, you're going to land sooner or later, and it's, um, you know, it's a good thing. And I've got a good team of people that um, that are all in this together to to help us uh, take a step forward and, and make this successful. And um, you know, I think this membership is pretty starved for. Um, somebody to stick around there for a very long time and, and to really care and, and want to make this a better facility. So um, it's it's a great feeling. It really is. Well, they've got the man down there, Doug, that's for sure. Well, before we get back say. to you, Tommy, let's just say that the Rays are now down six to nothing. We just had the umpires now have a double, <laughs> a double responsibility <laughs> like a replay. First of all, did the home run hit the, uh, hit the, pole, the uh, pipe at the top of the of the stands and bounced back in, uh, which is what they declared initially, and it was an inside-the-park home run. And if it didn't, it's still going to be a home run, but it's going to be a home run that went out of the ball, out of the ballpark. So they got to just first they had to decide whether it was safe at home. Now they have to decide whether it was a, a home run or not. They're having a tough time at the top tonight. Yeah, who's on first? Who's on second? You got that right. Hey, Don, the, uh, the name of those balls were V E R O X. Vero X. Vero X. Vero X. Never heard of them. Yeah, never heard of them. are up over the next tonight by eight uh, with uh, three thirty-seven remaining, one fourteen to one hundred six. So that's a battle uh, for first place in that uh, Eastern, right. Eastern Division. I'm watching that one too. Yeah. Uh, Sixers have been leading all the way, and, and uh, mm-hmm. they've been uh, Jersey. And 
that both the big play. I'll tell you, that's the NBA. That's why I hate it. You know, I, I, I hate Durant, it. Durant's taking the night off. He said he's tired. Yeah. Well, yeah. He's, be he's only played about five games. You know, he can't, can't play two mm-hmm. games in a row. Just can't do no, it. No, no. Going back to the home well, run. Now, they, now they've ruled him out at home. <laughs> the rule gets a triple. <laughs> And he's out at home, so it's only five nothing down instead of six nothing. <laughs> <laughs> that's like watching the three. That's like watching the three Stooges. No, Larry Crowe oh. trying to do something. <laughs> Don, remember, remember mm. Clearwater, the the organist Wilbur Sness and the Joe Clearwater Phillies when the Orphans made a bad sign. He played three blind mice. <laughs> he was the, yeah, the only right. one who could <laughs> you kicked out of Jack Russell Stadium of playing the thing three blind mice. <laughs> well, Tommy, I want to say you know that the uh, they're on BTV on Saturday nights. I love them. I and and I really goes crazy. But uh, I will tell you this: there is the Three Stooges Museum in Ambler, Pennsylvania. You're kidding me? <laughs> no, I'm not. And I read the book. About because you know Mo uh, Mo Howard and Curly were brothers, and right. they talked all about uh, uh, their life. And uh, I donated it. It was it was a, phen- a, a phenomenal book. I mean, because about stuff Ooh. that you know we had I had no 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 knowledge of. But I won't stay with it. But yeah, there is there. Op- it's open on Thursdays, mm-hmm. but uh, it's the uh, Three Stooges Museum up in Ambler, Pennsylvania. Well, on the that same point, didn't Larry, didn't Larry Fine came on Channel 29 back in 74 to say, you know, they're having a Stooges marathon and help for help for him to get his retirement? Yeah, well, Don, Don, uh, Don, Don, you weren't there right. in 74, but uh, no. uh, you were, you were uh, doing uh, uh, sports. Yeah, I, I, I think Tommy's right. I think they did have a, a marathon, but I'll tell you, it was, they were they were in a class by the way. The other guy, Phil Mustick, always refers to one of the lines that almost not every week, but uh, in his column that during the course of the week in the New York Post, he uses a lot of the lines from the Three Stooges. He must have been a Three Stooges fan growing up because he, he remembers every show. <laughs> Well, but Frank just said tick tick tock tick tick tock. We're up against the clock again. Mm-hmm. again. So, Doug, thank you for coming on. Mr. Cool. Rogers, thank you for coming on. Mr. Henderson, Doug, thank you for coming great on. Week. Thank you, be safe. Thank you. And uh, Doug doesn't even know who the Three Stooges are, so he's too <laughs> young. <laughs> how, hey, how about Amos and how about Amos and Andy? How about that? Take that. Yeah, one. there you that's go. A, yeah. That's a you little a little before a little before Doug's time, the Three Stooges. <laughs> have a great week. Have a great job, Frank. Thank you very thank much. You. We'll talk together next week. Frank, thank you, Frank. Thank you, Roger. Thank you, thank you, Doug. I'd like to thank you. Very special to Dan Dan Baker coming on. We Roy Cummings and, and of course always we had on our baseball guy Steve Priscilla. He's Indian fan just like I am. And most of all, at week week in and week out, Mr. Frank Carroll, we couldn't do this show without you. God bless you, your family every week. And have a blessed week, Frank. Thanks, Tommy. Ladies and gentlemen, these programs are brought to you each and every night of the week in grateful appreciation to the men and women of the United States Armed Forces and the men and women police and fire services. When you're out there and you, you see somebody in uniform, please let them know you know they're there 
these is very very tough times for men and women in uniform. Um, these dedicated these prayers are dedicated to those who have lost their lives in the line of duty: Deputy Robert Anthony Carroll, Patrolman David Curtis, Patrolman Jer- Jeffrey Colcap, Sergeant Thomas Spadinger, Patrolman Jeffrey Yazwitz, Detective Randy Bell, Detective Ricky Childers, San Diego Officer Mike Hendler, Lieutenant Mike Serba, Newcastle County Police, Patrolman Anafo Crispin, Lakeland PD. Chief Jimmy Ford, Wilmington Fire Department, Chief Al Hogue, Longo Key Police Department, Highway Patrolman Alonzo Moses, Philadelphia Highway Patrol, Highway Patrolman Brian Lazaro, Philadelphia Highway Patrol, Highway Patrolman Brian Murphy, Plymouth Township, PA Highway Patrol, Lieutenant Bob Neary, Philadelphia Fire Department, Sergeant Mike Wilson, Charlotte County Sheriff's Department, Deputy Chief Mike Godwin, Philadelphia Fire Department, Deputy Jonathan Scott Pine, Orange County Sheriff's Department, Deputy Robert Germain, Windermere, Florida Police Department, Trooper Chelsea Richards, Florida Highway Patrol. Lieutenant Joyce Craig Lewis, Philadelphia Fire Department. Patrolman Charlie Condit, Tarpon Springs Police Department. Hillsborough County Deputy Sheriff Charlie Kotloff. Sergeant James O'Connor, Philadelphia Police Department. Sergeant Rodney Bond, Delaware State Police. Captain Chris Leach, Wilmington Fire Department. Lieutenant Jerry Ficus, Wilmington Fire Department. Lieutenant Ardeth Hope, Wilmington Fire Department. <clears throat> FDLE Special Inspector Vinny Galaccio. Delaware State Trooper Corporal Stephen Boward, Kissimmee, Kissimmee Sergeant Sam Baxter, Kissimmee Patrol Officer, I'm sorry, Sam Howard, uh, Captain Matt Letourneau, Philadelphia Fire Department, Deputy Bill Gentry, Co- Co- Highland County Sheriff's Department, Deputy Glaze Zerba, Clay County Sheriff's Department, Deputy Natalie Corona, L.A. County Sheriff's Department, Deputy April Rodriguez, Pasco County Sheriff's Department, Officer Bob McKetchum, Biloxi, Kentucky Police Department. Uh, Trooper Joe Bullock, Florida Highway Patrol. Sergeant Brian LeVake, Hillsborough County Sheriff's Department. Deputy Mike Malik, uh, uh, Pinellas County Sheriff's Department. My brothers and sisters, although we may be 10-7 at this point in time, at some time we'll be 10-10 at the table of the Lord. Until that time, may the road rise up to meet you. May the winds be always at your back. May the rains fall softly on your fields and the sun shine lightly on your face. Until we meet again. May the good Lord keep you and your family always in the hallow of his hands. Good night. God bless and have a great day.